0: Thank you for being here. We're so glad to be gathered together as we continue our discussions in Luke. We are in Luke 18 today. Um, Jeannie and I had some uh, rules around our kids asking us for things, things that were pretty important to us. We had, I don't know if you did this before you had kids, but if you've had kids, um, but we would watch others and say, well, not that. We don't want that. And one of those, not that, was how kids would act in the store when they wanted candy. I have seen kids drop to the ground and scream until their parents would relent and give them that candy bar. And uh, we had a general rule in our house that if you didn't ask kindly, or, I mean, you could probably get what you wanted, but you got to ask right. you got to ask with the right heart. you got to ask with the right attitude. You've got to, you can't be mistreating others when you're asking. Um, And you can't be uh, acting poorly. So we actually dug our heels in a bit. We aren't going to bless that. We're not going to let you act that way and expect you to get something. And the goal was not because we were embarrassed. We would gladly be embarrassed for our children. We gladly have been many times. Um, But uh, the the facts are uh, we didn't believe that was best for our children. We didn't believe that that was producing in our children the heart that we wanted. So we dug our heels in a bit if you can't ask appropriately and correctly then we aren't going to give you what you're asking for this message today this parable that jesus is talking about in chapter 18 of luke verses 9 through 14 is jesus trying to describe why some of the israelites many of the israelites are missing the gospel They may may ask Jesus questions, and we're going to see that in some of his interactions with people as he continues to move towards Jerusalem in the next couple sermons. But today, Jesus is identifying what he will not bless. People that are close to him, that are listening to him, that are going away, receiving nothing from him. And we would be wise to listen to what Jesus is saying in this parable. The title of the sermon is The Righteous Sinner. The righteous sinner what does that mean it means there are some who believe they're more righteous and their sin isn't as bad as other people's and they present themselves before god and man that way the righteous sinner so turn with me to the passage we'll read through the whole parable and then we'll look at one who got nothing from god one who got all that he wanted from god and jesus explanation Of all that I get, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You join me in prayer as we begin the sermon. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and for your Son who has made the path clear for us. You have made it so that we can actually receive from you all that we need to be prepared for eternity and even for today. Father, we come to you with hearts that need to be healed, with sins that need to be set aside. uh, We have so much that we want to receive from you By the power of your spirit, and we ask humbly that you would not only do this for us, but do this for all those around us, even those who are struggling or those who think that they aren't. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus begins by describing, the scriptures begin by describing who this parable is aimed at. Oftentimes in Luke, he'll say he's talking to the Pharisees, or he's talking to the disciples in this case he doesn't make that distinction he makes the distinction he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous now who are the ones who trust in themselves and think they're righteous well I think that we can all have that propensity we can all lean towards thinking that our sin isn't as bad as our neighbors or that we're doing better or that God likes us more because Look around people like us more people think highly of us when i became a pastor people started asking my opinion it was like on the day i remember that first sermon or, or right after that first service and somebody came up and started telling me their problems with the expectation i would know what to do and i wanted to say you know just a week before i wasn't a pastor so it's kind of weird that all of a sudden i wear this hat and i have the answers i could get comfortable with the idea that I'm the one that is better or has the answers. The problem is is that this parable tells me I'm going to go away empty-handed before God. He tells this parable to some who trusted themselves that they were righteous, and then there's the second one, and treated others with contempt. Do we do that? Jesus is speaking to both his disciples and the Pharisees He's speaking to, the, to everyone who's listening. You are not going to receive from God what you want if you come in self-righteous and treating others poorly. You're not going to get it. So here's the parable that he tells. In verse 10, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. What does it mean they went up? From an Israelite's perspective, we think north is up jerusalem and the temple is up and it's on a hill it's on a a mountain of sorts it's up and you know in elevation as you come from the dead sea or jericho it's up in elevation as you come from the mediterranean sea but really it's the idea that jerusalem is the center of seeking god and you would always go up towards the temple even if you were coming from a place that was in the north or on a higher plateau so they went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other tax collector. Now, for those of, those of us who are Christians and who have studied God's word, we tend to think of Pharisees as the bad guys, right? We tend to think of them as the ones who rejected Jesus, the ones who brought him to the cross. From our narrative, it's very easy for us to think of the Pharisee as the evil guy, the guy we say boo and hiss, and if this is a... Uh, If this is a play when he comes out he's the guy with the black hat the problem is is they didn't read it that way in the first century they didn't hear it that way in the first century in the first century the pharisees were the conservative followers of god they went out they spent all of their time trying to please god they spent all they, they put effort their prayers were long and often they tithed above and beyond the call we're going to hear what this man has done, and it's no small thing that he's doing for God. I, might, I would venture to say that from a religious standpoint and from a, from, from a human standpoint, these Pharisees are living far better than any of us. They're, a, they're above the grade. And not only do they know it, but everybody else knows it. And on top of it, they are the ones that are governing what righteous living looks like. People are looking to the Pharisees to guide them What does it mean to please God? So this is a startling reaction. In fact, all of Jesus' reactions to the Pharisees is startling for that generation. Most importantly, to the Pharisees. Why are you not respecting us? Why are you not giving us our due? Have you not seen how we've tried to live for God? We know the Scriptures. We study them all the time. We have committed our lives to following the Word of God. Two men went up into the temple to pray, a Pharisee and a tax collector. I'll talk about the tax collector in the next point and how he would have been viewed then. But this first point that I want you to see is that there are prayers that can actually impede our relationship with God. There are reactions to God and man that can hinder us from having a right relationship with God. And Jesus is identifying what that impede is, what impedes us from our relationship with God or in This case impedes us from getting to the gospel, from getting what we desperately need. Verse 11, the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Is it wrong to declare to God that you are doing good? The Psalms would say it's not wrong. There are psalms where someone declares, I have done what was right before you, Father. Will you listen to my prayer now? It's not it isn't we shouldn't hide the fact when we're doing something that's right. At this point, I don't know that he's failed necessarily in what his explanation is. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Well, that's a little self-centered. That's a little I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Well, now he's just comparing himself against other people. And he's saying that these other people aren't worthy to be in his presence. That he's a step above everybody else. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Is he really thanking God or is he thanking himself? our prayers we would never pray this right i can i've never heard i've never got joined in prayer with christians and heard a prayer that started with god i thank you i'm not like those knuckleheads usually we wait till after the prayer till we start talking like that and the real heart is shown don't you know that god looks at the heart he's not fooled he sees how you're responding in your heart and how you're really thinking about yourself and others and here he's just putting words to it in the prayer he thanks god that he's not like the tax collector the pharisee standing by himself prayed thus god i thank you i'm not like other men extortioners unjust adulterers or even like this tax collector verse 12 i fast twice a week i give tithes of all that i get i fast twice a week It was only one day of the year that was asked that you would fast. The day of atonement was the only time by the law that they were called to fast. Why is he fasting? Maybe he considered himself like Daniel or like Job, that he's fasting. You know, Job would go and offer sacrifices for his children just in case they had sinned. Maybe this guy is living so righteously that he is performing fasts for others around him. The problem is that he doesn't love those people. He's looking at them with disdain. God, I hope you don't hold that against us. That tax collector. He gives tithes of all that he gets. What does that mean? That's not just what he produces. The idea is that you would pay a tithe once. If if the crop was taken and then sold in the market, you wouldn't tithe again on what you purchased. He's tithing on what he purchases just in case the guy who, who raised this for, his, for himself didn't tithe on it. He's making sure that everything he touches has been tithed on just in case, and he'll double tithe just in case. A, I mean, this is a guy that's really trying to follow the law. The expectation here is that anybody listening to this prayer is like, yeah, I don't measure up. God obviously likes that guy more than me, and i got to be more like that guy. This is a shocking moment. Now, I do need to note that there are five I's in this prayer. I thank you, I am not like other men, I fast, I give tithes, and I get. There's not a request from God in this prayer. And I wonder how, even if we're asking God for things, if we don't really believe we need them, we think we're okay and we can fix it on our own. Do we come to God humble, desperate, needing help? This Pharisee that is, it's just a parable, it's a story that Jesus is telling. Jesus is using him to identify how many of us come to God in prayer. Many of us come fairly self-satisfied, fairly confident that we can fix it, and we're asking God to put a seal of approval on what we're already doing. And I have seen that in my own heart. I have seen that in church. I have seen that in my family. I've seen it with my friends. But most significantly, I've seen it in my own heart. Do we come to prayer desperate? Do we come to prayer with disdain for our brother or sister? Thinking that God doesn't see There's the description of this man, and it's a much longer prayer, which should make us like it more, right? The person who prays more is going to be respected more by God and get more of what they need. And Jesus would say, not necessarily. If you were to go to Matthew 6, you would see that the long, flowery prayers in public are not necessarily the ones that get heard. In fact, you've received your reward in full. Go into your inner room and cry out to God and receive what you need which isn't a statement against public prayer, it's a statement against the heart issue that keeps us from getting from God what we desperately need. What's the error of the Pharisee, really? What, is the, what does Jesus want us to get? What's he done wrong? He is being described as the one who fails. We'll see that by verse 14. He gets nothing from God in this moment with God. And Jesus is using this bigger picture in Luke to describe a whole bunch of people that are not receiving from the gospel. They are not receiving what God has called them to receive in Christ. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and there's a whole bunch of people that are not getting anything from the Son. and don't even know it. Jesus is pointing out why what's the error the first error is right here in verse 9 they trusted in themselves he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and then the prayer goes on to describe a comparison look at how good I do compared to everybody else look at all this that I have produced Does that mean that the good things that he did and the bad things that he didn't do aren't positive? Those are positive things. It's the heart that's the problem. What is the prayer that impedes our relationship with God? The prayer that thinks that you don't really need much from God. The prayer that thinks that you're better than everybody else and God likes you more. What's the second error? He thinks that he can have disdain for his brother and not offend God. He thinks that he can sit there in front of the news and hate his brother and not offend the living God. Don't you know that God looks at the heart? This parable informs the prodigal son story. You wonder what was wrong with the older brother or the younger brother? Why did the younger brother get what he needed? It has everything to do with the heart. The Pharisee could fool everyone except God. You should pay attention that there are prayers that impede our relationship with God. There are attitudes that will make it so that you receive nothing from God. Why do we continue to struggle with sin? Why do we continue to fail? Why does God not heal? Why does God not help? What's your attitude? Do you think God doesn't see? In 1st Samuel 16:7 Samuel has gone to Bethlehem to choose the next king that will follow Saul. And we get a response that we should all understand about God. Samuel goes through all of the older brothers and doesn't find the king. And in comes the smallest and the youngest and the most insignificant. In David, this is what the scriptures say in 1 Samuel sixteen seven. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The problem is is that we can get used to how people treat us. And I can have respect given to me because of a position or because I might do well in certain areas and I'm not struggling in certain areas. And I can start drinking the Kool-Aid and believe that well, if people are pleased with me, certainly God thinks a whole lot of me. And yet God has come to save sinners, to seek and save the lost. And the lost wouldn't have it because they didn't understand they were lost. People who are struggling with sin continue to struggle with sin because they don't understand that they're lost. They haven't come to God and cried out and said to I I am broken, I am desperate, and I need help. See, there's not only a prayer that impedes our relationship, there is a prayer that ignites our relationship with God. And it's the prayer of the tax collector. Look with me in verse 13. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. But the tax collector standing far off... so. What's the picture? By saying that he's standing far off, the Pharisee has basically stood in the middle of the temple in the place where everybody can see him. And he stood up and declared what every person in the room knows. This is a guy that's living right. This is a guy that God likes. This is a guy that is most likely to be favored by God and man. And the man knows it. And he stands up there and says, Look at me, God. Nick Grant, The Pharisee, the, the tax collector, on the other hand, goes off into the side, standing far off, almost like he wants to come into the temple so that he can receive from God what he needs, but he's heard what people are saying, you don't belong here, you shouldn't be here. You lower the bar of righteousness just by showing up. How dare you show up here and make us worse? Unclean. Sinner. You can hear the whispering. You can hear the disdain. The disregard. Do you know what he did? Have you heard? What's he doing here? What's she doing here tax collectors um, received their wages through oppression there were poll taxes there were tolls on transportation there was taxes on the transportation of goods and the sales of goods and those taxes were taken and the tax collector could pick the amount, he could have weights, and he could decide what the rates were. And all that mattered to the politician from Rome is that he would get his cut, and the tax collector's job was to get his any way that he could beyond that. So not only was he part of oppression, but the system was set up for him to be a cheat. That's how he made his money. And as he took what was his, he was in the employ of the oppressor, Rome, and he was speaking on their behalf, and he would go to Rome, the Roman leaders, and he would say, ah, that Todd Berge, he's made this much money. He, he got a new chariot. And he's selling out his neighbors. He's a, this is a Jew working for Rome, selling out his neighbors. Despise, hatred, disdain, I mean, one thing we know for sure is we hate them, right? They're the bad guys. Well, this tax collector comes in. He doesn't declare how great he is. He does the opposite. Standing far off, he would not even lift his eyes to heaven. He didn't belong there, and he knew it. He knew that God didn't owe him anything. He knew he needed mercy. He knew he needed grace. He knew he was in trouble. And he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's something that we don't do today, but something that they would do was put sackcloth and ashes and, and, uh, and beat themselves and tear out even hair at times as they were showing signs of lament and repentance. And here he is, the, the, the imperfect verb here of beating his breast means he's continually doing it. God be merciful to me, a sinner. That's his prayer. In fact, the definite article before sinner is the. God be merciful to me, the sinner, which means he's heard what people are saying. There's the sinner, he's owning it. I'm the sinner. I'm the one who doesn't deserve it. I'm the one who's lost. This is nothing new that Jesus is pointing out. In 2 Chronicles 7:14, when the temple was first, the first temple, the one that Solomon built, was dedicated. God spoke, and this is what he said. The people are all gathered around, and he says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. One of the things as we've been going through, Luke, that I am startled by is how much Jesus is trying to save people. People won't have it. God's heart is to overcome sin. God's heart is to redeem people. God's heart is to restore people. God's heart is to save them. And yet people keep getting in their own way and hindering that God will not bless that pride. You've come to him and said, I don't really need you. You don't, nobody would verbalize that. Or God, you're lucky to have me. I'm a great guy. My neighbors think so. The problem is, what you don't know is, there is sin in my heart, and I desperately need a Savior. I'm broken just like you are. Jesus is arguing that not just the tax place. See, the problem is the church was being filled with the people called the sinner. They were the only ones that were humbling themselves and coming into the church. And Jesus was derisively called friend of sinners. A title which I'm thankful for. Because that means he's my friend. It's not derision, it's with worship and joy that I say, Jesus, friend of sinners, friend of mine. Why are we seemingly getting nothing from God when we pray? Why does that sin continue to haunt us and hold us? Why do I have no love for my neighbor? Have you repented? Have you owned the sin before God and man? Here's what Jesus says, and, and please don't miss this in verse 14. Here's a sinner who has declared, I am a sinner, and he's asked for mercy. That's his prayer. It's simple. In verse 14, I tell you this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. This man, the one who's the evil one by anybody's standard, the one who's failed, the one who has not tithed, the one that has not fasted, the one who has not done all of these religious activities, which are good and are wonderful before God. Daniel was wonderful to do them. Job was considered righteous because he offered sacrifices for his siblings. These are good things that the Pharisee is doing. The problem is his heart. He's so sure of his own righteousness that he gets nothing from Jesus. He's so sure that God sees the world like everybody else. Almost as if God sits and wow, that was really smart. What that guy just said—that's impressive. That guy's impressive. And God's waiting for us to come and humble ourselves, own our sin, and receive. I mean, this is—he doesn't just say that he gets mercy. He went to his house justified. Justified means all sin put away. Meaning completely clean. The miracle of Isaiah 1 when he says, come, let us consider together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they will be whiter than snow. There's no explanation for how God does that in Isaiah until you get to Isaiah 53. Until we get to the cross. And there are so many that are coming with sins of scarlet and leaving, receiving nothing. This man prays this short prayer, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Reminds me of my prayer when I came to Jesus when I was 14 years old. Lord, I can't fix this. I need you. You'd think it'd be more eloquent to have such a life-changing moment You don't need eloquent you don't need to present well you just need to come to Jesus because God's heart is to seek and to save God will exalt the humble what does it mean to exalt that's what he goes on to say exalting means justifying people saving them for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but the one who humbles himself will be exalted Any of us that are going around thinking that we are a cut above or that God likes us more or that God likes people in the northwest suburbs of Chicago more than people in Chicago or more than people from the south or more than people from another country, you're kidding yourselves. And you're actually hindering your relationship with God. We come in empty-handed and we encourage others to come in empty-handed. All. Why? Why is this such a big deal? Why is it so important that we pray with a humble heart? Why doesn't he just save everyone? Why doesn't he just give the candy? Why doesn't he just give the child what he wants, even when the child is acting poorly and doesn't understand? because it's what's best for the child because we the gospel is set up so that we understand we come broken and we come humble this is our entrance and to add to that as christians we know our lord and savior humbled himself and welcomed others in how dare we have disdain for others when god himself didn't have disdain for us and jesus welcomed sinners into the kingdom among whom we count ourselves thankful right Who are we to say they don't belong? Who are we to say that they're a cut below us? That they don't matter as much? When Jesus has said that we matter to him. I want you to understand that Jesus humbled himself first. He showed us. See, if anyone ever had a chance... To be self-righteous and look on people with disdain. It was Christ. Because he was actually righteous. And he came down, humbled himself. And the application in Philippians 2 is, look how you're supposed to treat each other. Look at how you're supposed to respond to God. You're supposed to put others' needs ahead of your own. Why? Because Christ put our needs ahead of his. He humbled himself and became, took on flesh and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And how can we go to that, our Savior and say to him, well, we're doing better than those guys. We want a church that's got good people in it. Well, then, we don't get to come, guys. We want a church where sinners are invited, right? Like you and me. And we don't want to qualify the level of sin that these doors should be open to, lest our prayers be impeded and receive nothing from our Father. What's the right application to the gospel of Jesus Christ? The right application is to humble ourselves, own our sin, cry out to our Savior and love our neighbor. our prayers cause us to receive nothing. I want you to understand Christ's heart. Does he not care about the Pharisee? Luke is a story of Jesus continually going to the Pharisee. He goes to their house to eat. He continues to tell them, try to wake them up. At points, shake them. He declares what they're doing wrong before people, not to make them be embarrassed, but to wake them up. There is invitation again and again, including in this passage. The invitation is to get to the side, get on your face, and cry out to God and receive the justification you desperately need. This is what Jesus said, and I want you to understand his heart. He loves us. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing? Pride is the same thing as saying, I am not willing to receive mercy. i am not willing. You cannot come to the cross proud. You cannot come to the cross self-congratulatory and expect to get anything. You cannot come to the cross dis- with disdain for other sinners, assuming that you're better than they are, because that sin is breaking the second commandment. The most, you know, When Jesus said, what are the most important commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You're basically saying, I can love God and not my neighbor. You can't. I picture Jesus pleading as he says this. This is the week that Jesus is preparing to die. He is crying out to Jerusalem, saying, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. It's my conviction that we go to church again and again, many of us, and receive no help because of our attitude. And we leave with Jesus saying, Oh, Todd, oh, Todd how I would have gathered you together under my wings. But you weren't willing. You didn't want it. The righteous sinner. Who's the righteous sinner? The righteous sinner is the one who thinks that his righteousness outweighs his sin, and that he doesn't really need help. Dear friends, it is so easy to humble yourself. It is so easy to declare the truth that we are desperately, we desperately need Jesus. There's still sin in my life that needs to be conquered. It is not, I am not good enough. My sin still is offensive to God and I want to grow. We had a number of rules in my house. Things that if uh, the children did those things, they could not receive from me what they wanted. One of the top ones is you can't mistreat my wife. If you mistreat my wife within my sight, it will not go well for you the rest of the day. You can't lie. You can't mistreat your siblings. You can't show me disrespect or act poorly. You can't have a lack of gratitude. These rules, were they designed to make my life easier as a parent? Honestly, there are a lot of times it would have been a whole lot easier just to buy the candy. That's the truth. It's about loving our children. It's about teaching them and helping them understand that God looks at your heart, child. Do you know that? He sees you, and he loves you, and he's trying to help you. And you're presenting in a way that he won't bless. we go to prayer, let me encourage you to come before God and receive what He longs to give you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I confess that we start to believe the things that people tell us. that are really good, admirable, doing well. This is good enough. Everybody fails a little. Everybody struggles a little. And yet the one who never failed humbled himself and gave himself for us. Oh, the love and oh, the grace. Father, I pray that we would receive from you what we desperately need. I pray that you would cause your spirit to flourish in our hearts. I pray that you'd forgive our sins and conquer sin in our lives and help us to live in a way that brings glory to your name, not to ours. And I pray this in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.